Howdy, it's Pastor Ridge. I trust that each of you are well and able to shelter in. It appears that this crisis may continue for at least the next few weeks. We're planning on having our worship services online for the next two Sundays, this Sunday, March 29th, and April 5th. So please watch it and share it with others, those who are looking to be fed spiritually. Also, please continue to give your tithes and offerings, either through the church office or online, through the website, or utilize our church app. Don't forget to check our memorial Facebook page and our website for future updates. Welcome to our podcast for March 25th, 2020. We're going to be studying in the book of Hebrews. Pastor Stephen Cole, he tells a story Several years ago, the Chicago Tribune reported the story of a woman in New Mexico who was frying tortillas when she noticed that the skillet burns on one of her tortillas resembled the face of Jesus. She excitedly showed it to her husband and neighbors who all agreed that the face etched on the tortilla truly bore a resemblance to Jesus. The woman went to her priest to have the tortilla blessed. She testified that the tortilla had changed her life, and her husband agreed that she had become more peaceful, happy, and submissive since the tortilla had arrived. The priest was a bit reluctant, not being accustomed to blessing tortillas, but he agreed to do it. The woman took the tortilla home, put it on a glass case with piles of cotton to make it look like it was floating on clouds, built a special altar for it, and opened the little shrine to visitors. Within a few months, more than 8,000 people came to the shrine of Jesus, the tortilla. All of them agreed that the face in the burn marks of the tortilla was the face of Jesus, except for one reporter who said that he thought it looked like former heavyweight boxing champion Leon Spinks. (laughs) We may laugh at that story, but to be mistaken about the person of Jesus Christ is no laughing matter. As we've seen in our previous two studies, the most critical question for each person to answer correctly is Jesus' question to his disciples from Matthew 16, 15. Whom do you say that I am? If we have an inadequate or incorrect view of who Jesus is, we will not bow before him and trust him as our Savior and Lord. So our eternal destiny rides on correctly understanding the person and work of Jesus Christ. Since this is such a crucial matter, it's not surprising that Satan has launched repeated attacks against the person of Christ. Sometimes the attacks have denied Jesus' true identity. At other times, more frequently in our skeptical day, he undermines the true deity of Christ, of Jesus. One of the most dangerous tricks is to lower Jesus to slightly below the status of God so that the Jehovah's Witnesses, They teach that Jesus is a, quote, little g God, or even a mighty little g God, but not God Almighty. They teach that Jesus was created as the archangel, Michael, and that through him, all other things in the universe were created. So they hold a relatively high view of Jesus, but they deny his full deity. But as Bishop Moulet once said, A Savior who is not quite God is a broken bridge that is broken at the farther end. So in our study, 
we're going to be dealing with meat as opposed to milk. I can't remember a passage on which I've spent more time. I mean, to some extent, it's like an iceberg. You can see the top clearly enough, but it may not appear too impressing, too impressive or too meaningful. But we'll be looking below the surface of this passage into its deep truth. So in that sense, verses 4 through 14 in Hebrews chapter 1 are not easy to understand, even if in a small measure I can help make these truths more understandable, then I've succeeded in what I ask God to help me do. Keep in mind that the book of Hebrews is written to the Jewish people, primarily to Jewish believers, but also to Jewish unbelievers. Both groups are pressed with the truth that the new covenant is better than the old, that Jesus Christ is the better priest and the better mediator, and that he is the final priest and the final sacrifice at the same time. Throughout the book, we have comparisons between the new covenant and the old covenant, between Jesus Christ and everyone else, to show that Jesus is superior in every way. In the first three verses of chapter 1, Jesus is shown as superior to everything and everyone. And after unfolding all of the human everyone's that Christ is superior to, the Holy Spirit teaches us that Jesus Christ is also superior to the angels. Let's talk about angels. The author of Hebrews now seeks to prove the superiority of Christ to angels by quoting seven scriptures from the Old Testament. The Jews accepted the authority of the Bible, and the author calmly and wisely uses the scripture to show that Christ is better than the angels. Notice carefully that the author does not turn to human reasoning or philosophy for his support, but only to the Word of God, the Holy Scriptures. The Bible is our only line of defense against anti-Christian thinking. You know, distorted pictures of angels have been passed down through religious art over the years. I mean, from chubby, nude infants toting bows and arrows to soft, slim, girlish, soothing angels. But notice in Scripture, the visitation of an angel was always alarming. Fear not. Angels have a prominent place in Scripture They're mentioned over a hundred times in the Old Testament and a hundred and sixty plus times in the New Testament. According to Randy Alcorn's book, Heaven, some people believe falsely that when we die, we become angels. Let me repeat that. Some people believe falsely that when we die, we become angels. See, death is a relocation of the same person from one place to another. That's found in his book, Heaven, on page 275. The word angel means messenger. They were created before man. They were created simultaneously, meaning they were all created and that they don't procreate. They don't reproduce. They are innumerable. They have personality. They have great intelligence. Angels have moral responsibility. Their sensibility. There's emotions involved. And they can render intelligent worship. 
Psalm 148 says, praise him, all his angels, praise him, all his hosts. You know, use of the word angels in scripture is always in the masculine gender grammatically. Their nature doesn't include bodies, they are spirits, though they may be seen in bodies and appear as men. They do not experience physical death or a ceasing, a cessation, if you will, to exist. Now in Hebrews 1, verses 4 through 14, the word angels appears 12 times between Hebrews 1, 4 and chapter 2, verse 18. The law or past revelation was spoken of by angels, but this last revelation was spoken by God's superior son so that no one dare neglect the message announced by God's son and attested to by God the Father. Why would the writer even need to address the issue of Jesus as being much better than the angels? Well, for one thing, from the very fact that the writer had to address this issue implies that ancient Jews, even those who are now believers in the Messiah, held angels in high regard. It's not surprising that Jews might have a high regard for angels since Scripture teaches that the law in Acts chapter 7 verse 53 had been given through the angels. Paul had warned Timothy that the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and the doctrines of demons, 1 Timothy 4.1. It is evident also from Paul's letter to the Colossians that those with strong with a strong Jewish background were being tempted to delight in false humility and the worship of angels. Colossians 2.18. Those whom this letter is sent to were either already entertaining or being encouraged to entertain teaching which elevated angels to a position rivaling that of Christ Jesus himself. As we look at this passage, notice if you look, tune in on uh, verse 5, notice Christ's positional dignity. The word says, For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you? This quote is from Psalm 2-7. This quote is used to prove that no angels individually have ever been called my son. Angels are called the sons of God in the Old Testament in Job 1 verse 6, but this is only in a collective and general sense. Jesus Christ is the the Son of God, the unique Son of God, who is co-equal with the Father and the Holy Spirit in the Trinity. This declaration of sonship does not seem to refer to His eternal sonship or to the incarnation, but really to the resurrection. This verse refers to the positional dignity of the Son and has, because of his official sonship, been made possible by the resurrection. Let me, let me give you a couple of texts that, that back that up. 
In Acts chapter 13, verse 33, it says that God has fulfilled this promise to our children in that he raised up Jesus, as it is also written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Romans 1, 4 said, who was declared with power to be the son of God by the resurrection from the dead, according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ, our Lord. You see, the resurrection proved that Christ was truly the eternal Son of God. Christ, because of the resurrection, has a superior position over the angels. Moving on, look at Christ's continued dignity in verse 5, the second portion of that. And again, I will be a father to him and he shall be a son to me. This quote is from 2 Samuel 7, 14, which deals directly with King David. But the Holy Spirit applies this verse to Christ himself. The Father has a unique relationship to the Son, and the dignity conferred upon Christ at the resurrection will continue forever. I love that. But it doesn't stop there. Look at Christ's future dignity, verse 6. And when he brings, excuse me, and when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. See, this is a quote from Psalm 97, verse 7, the second half. Whatever else this verse may mean, it is quoted to prove that angels are commanded to worship the Son. Only God is worthy of any creature worship. Angels are creatures, and they are to worship Jesus Christ. Therefore, Christ is superior to the angels. May I suggest to you that the final fulfillment of this verse will be at the second advent. Oh, this is exciting stuff. When Jesus Christ returns, this could be translated when he shall have brought in the firstborn into this world. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament state that Christ will return to this world with his angels to execute judgment upon it. This will be a time when his dignity is finally realized by all, and the angels will worship Christ as the judge of heaven and earth. Quoting 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 7 and following, says, For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to give relief to you who are afflicted, And to us as well, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. See, the word firstborn does not mean that Christ was the first created being, but it is a title to express priority over all creation and his sovereignty over that creation. John Bunyan said this, he said, If Jesus Christ be not God, then heaven will be filled with idolaters. Continuing on, let's look at uh, verse 7, and let's talk about Christ's creatorship. Verse 7 says, And 
of the angels, he says, who makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. This is a quote from Psalm 104, verse 4. You see, angels are made by Christ to be his ministers or servants. Christ has authority over angels because, plain and simply, they do his bidding. Angels are servants. Christ is creator with a capital C, with authority over angels, and so he is superior to them. In verses 8 and 9, notice Christ's rulership. It says, But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever, and the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. This quote is from Psalm 45, 7 and 8. Angels are servants of Christ who rules over all. Christ, as God, rules over the angels. The Father says unto His Son, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. This is a clear reference to the deity of Christ. As God upon His throne, Christ rules over all, over everything that is in righteousness. There is an immeasurable gulf which separates between creature and creator. The angels are only spirits, but Christ is God. Why do angels worship Christ? Because Jesus Christ is God come in the flesh. Look with me now at verses 10 and 12, 10 through 12, at Christ's unchangeableness. Scripture says, And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. And like a mantle, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will also be changed. But you are the same, and your years will not come to an end. This quote comes from Psalm 102, verse 25 and following. Jesus Christ, the Creator, has created the heavens and the earth. These will all perish, but only Christ will remain continually. He is the Eternal One and unchangeable in His nature. All created things are growing old and are changing, but only Christ is unchangeable because He is God. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today, and yes, forever. Hebrews 13, 8. See, many scoffers today who are committed to uh, uniformitarianism based on the premise of evolution, they like to make fun of Christians. They say the world will always continue as it always has continued. But we know that the world is growing older and wearing out. For the scientists in our midst... We have stated here in Scripture, we see it in the Scripture stated, the second law of thermodynamics, 
which says the whole universe is degenerating and wearing out. We're specifically told that scoffers will challenge God. They will challenge the return of Christ and all supernaturalism in the, the last days. Second Peter ver- chapter 3, verse 3 and 4 says, Knowing this, first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the father fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. We as Christians who have read God's word know the world will grow old. Christ will return and there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Later on in that same chapter of 2 Peter 3, verse 12 and following, Peter writes this, he says, Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, on account of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. See, everything else changes. But only Christ remains constant. Christ is unchangeable because he is God. And as God, he is superior to all angelic beings. Wrapping this up, we notice Christ's authority in verses 13 and 14. The quote there says, But to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. This quote is from Psalm 110, verse 1. You see, the Father told the Son to sit down on His throne. When He sat down on the throne, He was the victor. And one day at the second advent, at His second coming, All of Christ's enemies will be defeated, and Christ will prove that he is the final victor. Notice again that Christ has sat down, indicating that his work, the work that he accomplished, is finished. But the angels are continuing to minister to all who are truly saved. Each Christian has a guardian angel. Christ's work is superior to the work of the angels because his work is finished and completed, but angels continue to minister to Christ's servants by delegated authority. We have scripture references, and I want to give you a couple of them here, that talk about that. In Acts chapter 12, verse 7 through 11, Daniel 3, 28, Isaiah 63, 9, Psalm 34, verse 7. Psalm 91, verse 11. These verses talk about how angels protect and deliver believers either through or from trials. In 1 Kings 19, Matthew 2, Acts 5, angels guide and lead believers in their ministry. Acts 8.26 says, An angel of the Lord opened the gates of the prison and taking them, told them 
excuse me, and taking them out, told them to go stand and speak to the people in the temple the whole message of this life. So angels guide and lead believers in their ministry. Angels also escort believers into heaven. In Luke 16, 22, we read that Lazarus was carried away by angels to Abraham's bosom. Angels also encourage believers. Acts 27, verse 23, 24, and 25, it says, An angel of the Lord stood before Paul and told him not to be afraid. You must stand before Caesar. So he was encouraging Paul as they were on the ship and 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 shipwreck was certain and seemed certain and so he's encouraging Paul in that see when we read hebrews 1 through very carefully we see that christ is truly god and truly man fully god and fully man Marvelous titles are given to Christ. He is highly exalted. He is given a name above every name. The beauty of His person, the glory of His deity, and the perfection of His humanity are set before us so vividly and so clearly. We feel a sense of awe and worship, and we we fall down on our knees and adore Christ the King, the Ruler, the Creator, our God, our Lord, and our Master. Christ is not only superior to angels, He's superior to everything. See, Jesus Christ is not our buddy or the man upstairs. He is our Lord and our God. We must never drag the precious name of our Savior down into the muck of commonness. Christ is the Lord of glory, and we must see to it that He has given his rightful name from our lips and proper adoration from our hearts. You see, a true worshiper of Christ is one who comes into his presence with reverence, with respect, with awe, for Christ alone is the Lord of glory. As the God-man, he was able to secure a perfect salvation for all those who trust him as personal Savior and Lord. Hebrews 5, 9 says, And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. All those who trust Christ become heirs of salvation because they share the inheritance and destiny of Jesus Christ. Do you see yourself as a sinner? separated from God, under God's wrath, headed for eternal judgment? If you do, that's good, but it's not enough to save you. You're going to have to trust in Jesus Christ and His death upon the cross for your sins, for your alienation from God, and for your judgment. You see, by faith, you must grab hold of Christ for salvation. I end with this verse. It's Hebrews eleven six, And it says, But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder 
of those who seek him. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week, uh, moving on in uh, Hebrews chapter 2. And so if you will read up and be prepared, um, we're going to discover what God's word has to say for each one of us. But God bless you. Stay safe, and we'll talk to you soon.